Welcome to the 20th issue of No Junk Mail. As an introduction to this podcast, I'd like to thank you for tuning into my stories. I'm amazed and honored that you even listen. Thanks again for tuning in. And now on with today's story. No Junk Mail presents A Christmas Story, read to you by James Vaughn Felt. Twas the night before Christmas, and all around town the lights were twinkling and making no sound. Excitement was building, the plans were in place, the dinners were finished by children in haste. Run, Gabby, find Alex, call Justin and Gage. There's Braden and William on the very next page. It started the Monday before Christmas, coming home from school. The kids were arguing, yelling, and wildly gesturing in the back of the bus. It was the last day of school, and the school day had been filled with Christmas events. They were excited. They were pumped. They were about to burst with energy, probably from consuming way too much sugar. Well... No one remembers who came up with the great idea, but they were all in on it. What was finally agreed on was simple. They were going to create a Christmas float, like the Christmas Day floats on TV. Only their float would be set up right on stage in the park pavilion, displayed for all to see. It would be a surprise gift for the whole town to remember. So, what could possibly go wrong with that idea? Anyway, after getting home, changed clothes, and snacking a bit, the ones you remembered headed for the park pavilion. Six showed up raring to go. Alex remembered to bring a pencil and paper, only one sheet at that. In no time, both sides of the page were filled with ideas and pictures. The group huddled around a picnic table in the pavilion. It was cold. Justin brought his flashlight so they could see what they were doing. It gets dark after five o'clock, and the pavilion lights are turned off for the winter. They were dressed for the cold weather, but Gage and Braden forgot to bring their gloves and didn't finish their drawings. When the flashlight gave out, the discussion went on. The ideas came so fast and furious, many were lost in the excitement. We've got a problem, Alex said. Shut up, he shouted. Everyone stopped and looked at him. We've got a problem. People are coming around to see the town decorations. They're going to see us. We've got to find a better place to meet. Well, he was right there. The town decoration committee had hit a compromise. The work was done, and it was a splendid sight to behold. People were milling around, looking at the displays. The pavilion had thin strands of lights hanging down from the gutters all around. A big sign on the roof glittered in the light of a spotlight, saying with big letters, Welcome home. A very fat styrofoam snowman with a carrot for nose, prunes for eyes, and bright lipstick making a mouth was by the sidewalk. 
And there were 12 huge hand-painted Christmas displays that tell the Christmas story. They were placed on the grounds around the park pavilion. They were arranged so that people could walk from one to another, admiring the Christmas scenes painted on them. The lumberyard gate suggested, but people go there all the time. They'd want to know what's up, William commented. Justin blurted out, the gas and grill in the shed next to the laundromat. It's empty. I don't think so, Gabby added. All the ladies do is gossip. They couldn't keep a secret if they had to. Silence filled the air as the brain scurried over the town looking for a place, a secret place. I know, Braden shouted. Then he hushed to a whisper. The whole cut's barn. We can ask the ladies. I'll bet they'll let us. We can swear them to secrecy. It was a splendid idea. The group moved at once without as much as a second, skipping, jogging, and chatting over the four short city blocks that took them right up to the front porch of the pristine old Nimitz house where the whole cut ladies lived. On the way, the group had voted Alex as a spokesman. The noise marching up the stairs across the porch to the door announced their presence without knocking. Imogene came to the door to see what was the clatter. Seeing the group, called out to her sister Sarah, Look what we have here. Come in, come right in, please. The inside of the house is a treasure of old antiques, arranged in good taste for the early 1900s, a delightful feast for the children's eyes. Their eyes were wide, soaking in 12-foot ceilings, flowered wallpaper, beautiful large pictures hanging on the wall, real flowers in a vase, and the old-fashioned chairs tastefully placed around the room. The parlor stove in the corner radiated warmth. Sarah asked if they would like some hot chocolate and invited the children to sit down. Alex started to explain why they had come, but Gabby beat him to it. I'd love a cup of hot chocolate, she said. So that was that. Manners demand that you sit and chat for a while when you come for a visit. And they knew it. Eyes flashed back and forth. Slowly they took off their coats and settled down for a chat. The hot chocolate and cookies were served. And slowly the questions about family and school were answered. Imogene knew something was up and eventually asked, what brings you over this evening? Alex hesitated, but Gabby jumped right in. We want to make something special, and we need a secret place to make it. Gage added, and you can't tell anyone, promise? I'm not following, Imogene said. The barn, Alex said. We want to use the barn to make a surprise so no one will know till Christmas Day. Actually, the group hadn't discussed the details yet, but this sounded okay. They just nodded as Alex spoke. It's cold out there, Imogene said. You will have to dress warmly. We will, we will, they chimed in. And at that very same time, the old pendulum clock in the corner began to strike five o'clock. We have to go now, Braden said. Our folks will be looking for us if we're too late for dinner. 
Can we start in the morning? Imogene shook her head as if to say yes, saying, I'll see you in the morning. Out of the door and down the stairs they went, talking nonstop, not listening to anyone in particular, just chattering as they skipped and ran to their homes to keep warm. At this very same time across town, which is not very far, Larry and Vicky had been talking about how the neighbors used to go caroling on Christmas Eve. The thought was full of memories and feelings of Christmas, eggnog and friends. Let's do it, Larry exclaimed. Vicky was a bit surprised. I thought you didn't like going out at night, Vicky said as she turned and threw a dish towel at him. This would be fun. I could call the guys at the fire station and you could call the ladies. I'll start calling now. Not so fast, Vicky said laughingly. Dry the dishes first, and while you're doing that, I'll call Catherine. She's got a good printer. She can print the words of the songs for us. Larry and Vicky's calls rounded up three couples, excited about the idea. And as the idea got around town, the carolers' number grew and grew some more. The plan was that the carolers would meet at the lumberyard at five o'clock on Christmas Eve. At five, people will be home, probably eating dinner. Larry drew a map so that they could sing carols at homes on every block. It wouldn't be a long journey. Our town is small. The gas and grill would be the last stop. The carolers would sing a final mini-concert inside where it's warm. Cookies and eggnog would be flowing. So, you see... Christmas is starting to happen in our town. The next day, Tuesday morning, the kids met in the whole cut's barn. Braden brought his dad's bucket full of tools. Gage didn't make it because his mom made him go Christmas shopping in Ottumwa. The big discussion was about floats. What are we going to make? There were lots of suggestions, but they weren't agreeing. Finally, in frustration, Gabby declared she was going to make a giant duck. No way, Justin yelled. I want to make a tank with a big gun on the turret. Braden agreed. William liked that idea, too. He had suggested a Nintendo monster, a flying tractor, and a huge yo-yo. But none of these ideas were as good as a tank. I'm going to make a duck. I can make it look real, Gabby said with firmness. Okay, William taunted. So what are you going to make it out of? Cardboard, she replied. I thought about it all last night. Mr. Randolph just bought his wife a new dishwasher and refrigerator. The cardboard boxes are all I need. What will you make your tank out of, she said slyly. The boys just looked at each other. They hadn't begun to think about the how of things. They were still in the idea stage. Well, Justin murmured slowly, we could use wood from pallets to frame it and maybe borrow a big wagon with wheels to put it on, chimed in William. Yeah, and we could use cardboard to cover the frame and the gun, added Braden. Justin was on a roll. I helped Jerry unpack cabinets at the lumberyard last Saturday. I'll bet he'd give us the cardboard and packing. 
So there it is. Not one, but two Christmas floats are in the planning. Lists were made, and soon Alex dispatched the eager workers to find the materials. While they were running around town and back and forth to the barn, Alex went home and made peanut butter sandwiches for everybody. Gage arrived after lunch and decided to help find materials for the duck. It took all day Tuesday, but eventually cardboard, discard cans of house paint, duct tape, several wooden pallets, paintbrushes, and more were gathered at the barn. Alex borrowed Fire Chief Kelly's long crowbar to break the wood pallets down. By dinner time, materials were bunched into two piles, one for the duck float, the other for the tank. The kids were tired. They had worked hard finding materials and carting them to the barn. Wednesday morning, after fits and false starts, the projects began to take shape. The standing duck was simple to make, but had a design problem. It kept falling over. Besides that, there wasn't enough cardboard for this design. After struggling all day, Gabby and Gage gave up and were ready for Plan B. The new design was to be a duck in a swimming position. This would work. Meanwhile, things were not going well at the tank project. It was in trouble from the start. William, Brady, and Justin argued about what it would look like and how to make it. There was a lot of shouting going on. William quit and went home before lunch. After lunch, William came back and Braden quit. Justin and William made some progress, but not much. After dinner, Braden returned. Finally, the boys saw that they were running out of time and they simplified the design. The base was partially assembled before they went home. There was still a lot to be done. The turret and gun barrel had to be made. They hadn't even started yet. It's Thursday. Time is getting short. By noon, the duck body was fashioned from the refrigerator cardboard box. That afternoon, the duck head was sculptured from the dishwasher box. Pallet boards attached it to the body. Duck take help. Gage figured that out all by himself. By Thursday evening, before dinner, the duck fit together perfectly. It was ready to disassemble and take to the pavilion. The tank, on the other hand, was not ready. The base had to be made from a big box. A smaller box, the turret, was to sit on top. The cannon was to stick out of the turret. Well, after dinner, the whole crew came back to the barn and discussed what had to be done. The duck needed paint, but was ready to move to the park. They all pitched in and carried parts and set it up on stage behind the curtain. It was dark. The stage lights could not turn on. Alex went home and came back with a flashlight. Gabby and Gage started painting by flashlight. Gabby had been taking painting lessons from our artist, Ginny. She knew exactly how she was going to paint the duck. It needed feathers. She would use a little white edge with a bit of yellow paint on the brown cardboard. The eye and eyebrows were to be black, edged with white. The beak would be yellow. While Gabby and Gage were painting, Alex, William, Justin, and Braden were in the barn working on the parts of the tank. 
with Alex supervising, everything came together. After dinner, the tank was disassembled and taken to the pavilion. It was set up next to the duck. William started drawing camouflage on the tank, but the flashlight gave out. They were all tired. They went home. Meanwhile, that same evening, the carolers met at the fire station for practice. Catherine had made copies of the Christmas lyrics. They practiced and practiced. They were starting to sound good. By 8 o'clock, they were tired of practicing and just sat around eating cookies that Vicky had made. Now, right here, I need to take a moment to describe the park and park pavilion for those of you who have not been to our town. The park is right smack dab in the middle of town. The main road goes by it. The structure is a simple, long, narrow, open building. In one end, there's an enclosed kitchen with an eating area. On the other end, a stage. A roof covers the whole building. The kitchen is enclosed with walls all around it. The stage has a raised wooden floor and a front curtain. There are walls around that part, too. Most of the building is open. No walls. The roof connects the kitchen and stage. Park tables are set up by the kitchen. Benches are in front of the stage area. Now this is it. Friday morning, Christmas Eve. The finish line is in sight. Right after breakfast, painting began again. With just a little more work, the paint job on the tank was completed. Something the kids learned was that paint doesn't dry fast in cold weather. The duck's paint was still wet to touch from the previous night. An old fan was found in the Holcutt's barn and borrowed in an effort to dry the paint. The electric wall outlets were alive. Hopefully, the paint would dry before Christmas morning. Everything was done before noon. That is, everything but fixing the gun barrel on the tank. It kept falling down. The boys tried several fixes, but they weren't working. Then Braden came up with an idea. He was going to town with his folks, and he would bring back some glue and a trouble light to dry the glue. Together, they went out and stood in front of the curtain and imagined what the floats would look like. Of course, they couldn't see the duck or tank because the curtain was drawn. They were wondering what it would look like when people would see it for the first time. They agreed to meet at 8 o'clock Christmas morning to pull the curtain back. Later that afternoon, by 3 o'clock, Braden, Justin, and William were behind the curtain, working on the gun barrel. A hole was made in the backside of the turret. They wrapped a piece of cardboard around the end of the barrel and glued it to the box below. The very old trouble light turned on. It was warm. They laid the light bulb on the part that was glued and waited. It seemed to hold. They waited around a bit longer to see if it would continue to hold, and it did. They left the light in place to make sure the glue dried. It was dark at 5 o'clock when the carols met at the lumber yard. They went south on Main Street to 1st Street, then turned west on Sheldon. Things were going well. They sang songs at each house where there were lights. In about 45 minutes, they were on North Street when they smelled smoke. It was dark. They couldn't see where it was coming from, and they didn't think much of it. 
Many have wood-burning stoves in their homes. They were right in the middle of a set of Christmas songs at Pat Held's home when the town fire siren went off. Three of the carolers were volunteer firemen. The fire station was only a block away. They took off. Cell phones began buzzing as the calls started around town. Questions were being asked. Who's in trouble? Where is the fire? What's the fire in our town? The worst fear in winter is a house fire. It's devastating, and they can be deadly. Fire Chief Kelly rushed out of his driveway with his siren blaring and lights blinking. No one seemed to know why the town siren was blaring. However, it just so happened that Christian and Autumn and their new baby were on the way to Christmas Eve service in Bloomfield. As they drove by the pavilion, they saw smoke rolling out of the stage area. They stopped and called 911. The carolers were huddled together, talking on their cell phones when they saw fire trucks leave the fire station. The trucks didn't go very far. The park's across the road and down the street about a 1,000 feet. When the carolers saw that the trucks had stopped, they set off in a run towards the park. As soon as they got to the corner, they could see flames coming out of the roof over the stage. Fire Chief Kelly saw them coming and directed them across the street out of the way. Soon, more volunteer firemen arrived. By the time the hoses were out of the truck, the volunteer firemen began working to put the fire out. The fire was on the stage. The stage floor, walls, ceiling, and roof were a bright, billowing blaze of fire and smoke. The welcome home sign was burning. The spotlight exploded, showering sparks high in the air. The fire spread fast, consuming much of the roof over the stage. The firemen were trying to save the rest of the roof, the part over the kitchen area. The crowd of onlookers grew large as neighbors hurried to the park. Cell phones spread the word through town quickly. Frosty directed the spectators across the street as they arrived. Huddled together, in the middle of the crowd stood six kids with hangdog, guilty as sin looks on their faces. Everyone around them was talking and wondering how this had happened. Braden's dad was looking right at Braden with a curious look. Gabby saw it and began to cry. What should we do? William whispered. Justin blurted out, We gotta tell. Fire Chief Kelly walked across the road towards the crowd of onlookers. Has anyone seen any activity over at the pavilion today? He said in a loud voice. There was a few seconds of silence. Then Alex took a step forward from the group. We were working on the stage today, he said. Fire Chief Kelly walked over to the kids, and the conversation began. Gabby's crying continued for a while as the whole story unfolded. It came out in bits and pieces. The Christmas float idea, finding the material, the work they did, the Christmas surprise for the town. As they were going through their story, onlookers attested to parts of the story. Yes, I gave Gabby cardboard, Mr. Robinson said. Others spoke out, too. Then Danny, our mayor, stepped out of the crowd and came right up to the chief and kids. You had a good idea, he said, but it didn't work out too well. In fact, I think it's a great idea that we should keep. 
Just imagine what it would look like to have a new stage and pavilion filled with Christmas floats. A few voices of approval arose from the crowd who'd been listening. John Hilbert yelled out, My family will build one, and we have a project to do next spring, the mayor went on. We built the pavilion with our own hands years ago, and we can build a new one next spring. By now, the crowd was bustling with comments. Lorna Good, who runs the 4-H group, spoke up. The 4-Hers can make one, too. The mayor nodded. Anyone who wants to can make one for us next year. I'll be putting together a Christmas float committee next week. You can start planning now. The crowd murmured their approval as they began envisioning what our town would look like next Christmas. It was about this time that the carolers began singing. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Bit by bit, person by person, people began joining in the song. The whole scene began to change from exciting emergency to something else. As each verse was sung, the song became louder. Soon, everyone, even the firemen, were singing. The scene was amazing. As the fires began to dwindle, Larry led the way towards the gas and grill, the kids in tow. The whole crowd followed, singing along with the carolers. The mini-concert was called off, but the visiting and sampling of cookies and eggnog went on as scheduled. Designs and ideas to include in the new pavilion were discussed. The kids were lectured, as well as complimented. It was confusing and exciting at the same time. The mayor, Chief Kelly, the kids' parents, and others had advice, as well as scolding. Sometime that evening, William was heard to exclaim, I know how to make a tank. Braden responded immediately, Mine is better. Well, that's it from where the corn grows tall and pigs fly. Wishing you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Take care. All my love. Grandpa Jim.